If you would, open your Bibles again with me to Genesis chapter 18. The question I would like for us to look at this morning is this one. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? We read earlier the story of Abraham interceding for Sodom after the Lord had told him he was going to go there to destroy the city. And as Abraham intercedes for the city, he asks this question in verse 25. He says, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now as Abraham asks that question, he already knows the answer to it. Of course the judge of all the earth will do right. The Lord is holy and just in all his ways. He always does right. He never does does wrong. The Lord would never destroy the righteous along with the wicked in that city. He would never do that because that wouldn't be just. Now here's the thing about everything that the Lord does. Whatever the Lord does is right. It's right because he did it. You know, it's not like, when I say that, this is what I mean. There's not like there's a list of wrong and a list of right. And the Lord has to pick from the list of right. Whatever the Lord does is right because he does it. Sometimes we understand and see that it's right. Sometimes we don't. But whether we understand it or not, whatever the Lord does is right. And there could be a lot of questions of different situations that that people would ask about. And I I can't really explain every situation, everything that happens, you know, in in life. Things going on in the world right now are so horrible and and seemingly evil is what, what I would call them. You know, I can't explain how the Lord doing that is right. I just know that it is. But I want us to see this morning how the judge of all the earth does right in three very critically important times. And the first one is this. The judge of all the earth will do right in the condemnation of unbelievers. Now the Lord condemning sinners to hell, that's not something I like to think about. It's not something that I like to talk about. It's so, it's true, it's in God's word, so so we do talk about it, but it's not something I really like, like to dwell on. It's too overwhelmingly awful you know for me really you know to think about but whenever the lord does condemn someone to hell every single time he does it he's just and right in doing it no one in hell will ever be able to argue against that no one in hell will ever be able to say i don't belong here nobody condemned to hell will ever be able to say the lord did not deal truthfully and and justly with me They'll never be able to say that. Because everything God does is just. In Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, it says that God is a God of truth without iniquity. Just and right is He. Everything He does is just and right. David said in Psalm 96 verse 13 that the Lord shall judge the world with righteousness. His judgment. His verdict is always done in righteousness. It's always correct. If you look at Romans chapter 1. 
Paul deals with this in the opening chapter of his letter to the church at Rome. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. God's manifested to them for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No son of Adam has any excuse, do we? We, we, can't have, we don't have an excuse for not knowing that God is. Creation tells us that. We know that. There's no excuse for our sin against God. None whatsoever. There's no excuse for us not believing God. Scripture says they are without excuse. Look over a couple of pages at, at Romans 3, verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now here's a guilty person standing before the judge of all the earth. Everyone has to say he's just in condemning the guilty. They're guilty. All the world is guilty before him. Now I'm not... I want you to understand that I'm not trying to defend God. I'm not trying to defend God and say he's how he's he's just when he does these things. What I'm showing you is this. Scripture says that God's judgment is always right. That's what Scripture says. God doesn't need to be um, defended in any way. Not making any excuses. Scripture says God's just in everything that he does. He's just and right when he condemns the guilty. I, I can tell you one thing I think about this. The Lord's not being unjust when he gives somebody what they want. The Lord's not being unjust when he gave the wicked exactly what they wanted. They didn't want the righteousness of Christ. They wanted to do it their own selves. They didn't want the blood of Christ. They didn't, they didn't think they needed the blood of Christ to cleanse them from their sin. They wanted to trust in their own works instead of trusting in Christ. They wanted to trust the idol that they made up, not trust Christ. They wanted a bunch of, of ceremonies of, of religion that, that made them feel warm and fuzzy. But they didn't want the preaching of Christ. That was too boring for them. They refused to come to Christ. And throughout their lifetime, not one time ever did they beg for mercy or forgiveness of their sin. If they would have, God would have forgiven them. But they didn't beg for mercy. They didn't beg for forgiveness. They did not want God to interfere with their will. And he didn't. He didn't. Well, God's, he's not unjust then, is he? All the Lord did was leave them, leave them alone. Leave them to their own way. So in the end, when they appeared before the judge of all the earth, they're guilty in their sin. And what did the Lord say about himself? I will by no means clear the guilty. Then their damnation is just and right, isn't it? It's just and right. Nobody can argue against that. And if you look over Romans chapter 9, one of the greatest examples that we have in Scripture of this very thing is Pharaoh. Romans 9 verse 17. 
For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now God raised Pharaoh up to power. I mean, power over the, the most powerful nation on earth at that time, in unquestioned power, like you and I really don't understand. I mean, this there, he had nobody to answer to. There's no checks, there's no balances. I mean, this man had complete power over the mightiest nation on earth. And you know why God raised that wicked man up and put him in that position? God gave him that power. God, God's the one put him there. God put him there so that the whole earth could see the Lord's power. Not Pharaoh's power. The Lord's power. Oh, how powerful the Lord was in, in destroying this man and his army. Now at that time, you know the story of the children of Israel in Egypt and now they're getting ready to come out of Egypt and the Lord sent Moses to Pharaoh to let my people go and he sent the plagues and, and every time Pharaoh would say, oh, just ask your, ask your God to take away the plague and I'll let you go. And he took away the plague and he didn't let the people go. The Lord's will was done in all that. That was the Lord's will. But Pharaoh did just exactly what he wanted to do, didn't he? He did exactly what he wanted to do. And when he was destroyed, his destruction was just, wasn't it? His destruction was just. He was condemned. Now let me tell you this about condemnation. All punishment in hell is not the same. Now, there are no degrees of glory. There are no, no rewards in heaven. You know, One in heaven is not going to be better off than, than other people there. And the reason for that is this. Everybody there is there by the same merit, by the exact same merit. It's the merit of Christ. They're not there by Christ's merit, you know, plus the things that they did for the church when they were on earth. They're there by the merit of Christ alone. They're there by the righteousness of Christ alone. And the reward is all exactly the same. There are no degrees of heaven. But if you look back at Matthew chapter 11, there are degrees of punishment in hell. And that's God's justice. That's the judge of all the earth doing right. There are degrees, different degrees, different severities of punishment in hell. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now I would imagine all of us think of Sodom as the worst place ever was on earth. When you think, I mean, it's the only place on earth that God destroyed like he did. But that wicked place, you think of it. The Lord said they would have repented if they had seen the mighty works that the Lord Jesus Christ did as he would on, on, as a man on this earth. The miracles, if they'd seen the miracles that he performed, 
They heard him preach the gospel. Just like that big crowd, Eric, that heard that great message that the Lord preached, that sermon on the Mount morning. If they'd have heard that sermon on the Mount, they'd have, they'd have repented. If they'd heard that preaching, they would have, they would have repented. But Capernaum, who saw those miracles, the people of Capernaum who heard that preaching, they would not have repented. They did not repent. Sodom would have. So our Lord says Sodom's punishment will be less than Capernaum's. See, there are degrees of punishment in hell. Some will receive greater punishment because they sinned against greater light. See, all are guilty, aren't they? All sons of Adam are guilty. All sons of Adam are without excuse. But some have sinned against greater light. Some have had a, a, a clearer revelation of Christ. They've had Christ preached to them. They, they have God's word. They, they've sinned again, and they still won't believe. They still won't repent. They still won't come to Christ. They've sinned against greater light. So God is just. The judge of all the earth is just when he condemns those people. All sin will be punished exactly as it deserves. No more, no less. Never more, never less. And here is my advice to you and me. Given that all that is true, cry to God for mercy today. Cry to God for mercy right now. Right now. You know, that's not, like I say, that's not something I like to think about. I don't, to, to, uh, to think about people in hell is just, it's just too sad to, to even think about. But our God's just when he condemns like that. He's just. All right, here's the second thing. The judge of all the earth will do right in the salvation of his people. Now, when the Lord is pleased to reveal himself to his people, and give them life and give them faith in the new birth. The Lord's always right in doing it. Here that poor leper came. Eric said one. One. Well, the Lord's right in calling out that one, wasn't he? He was right in doing it. And when time is no more, and that person stands before the judgment seat of Christ, and the judge of all the earth says, you're innocent. You're righteous. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. When the judge of all the earth says that, he's right and just in doing it. See, he won't be doing a favor letting somebody walk into heaven. He won't be letting that person enter those pearly gates with a wink and a nod. I was looking over my notes this morning and I thought, I wonder if some of our young people know what a wink and a nod means. So I thought I'd tell you. I'm going to use my nephew Gavin as an illustration. A few weeks ago, we were at a family dinner, and uh, Janet asked Gavin, she said, how old do you think I am? Well, that's not fair, is it? That was kind of a tough question. You know, how old do you think Aunt Janet is? And Gavin was like, oh, you know, what am I going to do? Well, he, he didn't want to give the wrong answer. He, he, you know, wanted to be careful here. Well, I was behind Janet, I kind of signed to him how old she was. And he said, 50. And she said, that's, that's a good guess. She was very pleased, you know, with that guess. And I went like this to Gavin. Wink and a nod. We're not going to tell Aunt Janie you had a little help. That's a wink and a nod. She still doesn't know. Don't nobody tell her. The only reason I use this illustration, she's in Lexington today. Nobody tell her. Don't, don't tell her. It's a wink and a nod. I gave my buddy a little help, you know. When the Lord tells a person in judgment, you're innocent. 
you're righteous. Enter into the kingdom prepared for you. It's not done with a wink and a nod. He gives that judgment, that verdict, because he's right. The judge of all the earth has done right. See, the way that God saves sinners is so glorious that it's right in every aspect, in every way you can think about the salvation of a sinner. It's right. That's the difference between the gospel and false gospels. It's right when God saves sin. Everything about it is right. You think about an eternity when the Father elected a people. He elected a people unto salvation. He elected to save them. He elected them to be saved by His grace. They're not going to be saved by works of righteousness, which they've done. But it's according to God's mercy, God's grace, that, they'll, that they will be saved. Now God saves those people. He saves them by His grace. But when he saves them by his grace, he doesn't change his character. He doesn't change his righteous and just and and holy character. When God saves the people that he chose to save, he doesn't ignore the requirements of his justice and the requirements of his holiness. No. When the Lord said, I will by no means clear the guilty, that applies everywhere to every son of Adam. When the Lord saves his people by his mercy, By his grace, he's still the righteous judge who by no means has cleared the guilty. When the Lord saves his people by his grace, do you know he still fully punishes their sin? Their sin debt is fully paid. They didn't do it. No, they didn't do it. But the Lord made it right for him to be merciful to his people. He made it so it's right for him to forgive the sin of his people and still be just. And the way he does that is the death of Christ, the sinner substitute. The father put his son to death. The father's the one who killed the son. The cross is an act of God. It wasn't an act of Jews. It wasn't an act of the Romans. It's an act of God. The father put his son to death as a sacrifice for the sin of his people. So that justice would be satisfied. His own justice would be satisfied. The father didn't kill his son like he was guilty. He didn't kill him even though he's not guilty. The father made his son sin for his people. Now the Lord Jesus Christ never committed any sin. But the father made him guilty. Made him guilty of all of the sin of all of his people. See the judge of all the earth must do right. If he's going to put him to death it's got to be right to put him to death. He made him guilty of the sin of his people so that it was right for the father to put the son to death. And you want to know how serious the father is when he says, I will by no means clear the guilty? When he made his son guilty of the sin of his people, he did not clear the guilty. He did not ignore it just because it was his son. The father put a guilty man to death on the middle cross on Calvary's tree. The father put him to death to satisfy his justice. Now the sacrifice is complete. The transaction is done. God's justice is satisfied. Because the substitute died in the place of all of God's people. So when it comes time for the Lord to save his people, when it comes time for the judge of all the earth to say you're innocent, he's right in doing it, isn't he? See, he made them. He made them innocent. He made them righteous. The Father chose to save them and he made it right. 
for him to save them. Then in eternity, the Father loved the people. He set his love on the people. He chose those people. He elected those people to save because he loved them. In the fullness of time, the Son came. And he showed us how deep, how genuine the love of God is for his people. He willingly suffered and died. So that the people the Father chose to save could be with him forever in glory. He willingly did that because he loves his people. And I'm telling you, the Father must really love his people. I mean, you talk about a genuine love. Look what he made his son suffer in order to save the people that he loved. The Savior must really love his people. Look what he willingly suffered to save him. See, that's God loved a sinful people. How can a holy God love a sinful people? Well, God made it right for him to love those people, didn't he? He made them what he loves. He made them the righteousness of God in, in his son. Then in order for us to be saved, we must have faith in Christ. If you would be saved, you must believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe him. You must trust your eternal soul to him and to him alone. That's what scripture says. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. God's not going to be pleased with you and me. He's not going to be pleased with our works. God's only going to be pleased with his son. He can only be pleased with us when we believe his son. If we would be saved, we must believe. But here's the problem. We can't produce faith. We can't produce faith. We cannot make ourselves believe on Christ. You know, if somebody puts that on you like it's a work you can do, it's something that you can do, they're preaching to you works, not grace. You must believe on Christ, but I know you can't. I understand. I know you can't. So God the Holy Spirit comes and he gives all of his people the gift of faith so that they believe on Christ and they can't quit believing. They can't believe anything else. That's because the Holy Spirit gave them the gift of faith. The Lord gives his people faith in Christ so that it's right for him to be pleased with them. See that? He, he made it right. He gives them faith in Christ. In judgment, the Lord is going to declare his people righteous. Enter ye righteous. That's what he calls them. Now at that time, the judge of all the earth will do right. He's not going to be declaring a bunch of sinful people righteous. He's not going to call them righteous even though that they're not. So the judge of the earth is going to do right. When he announces, when he declares his people are righteous, he made it right for him to declare them righteous because that's what he made them. He made them righteous. He made them righteous by the sacrifice of Christ. So here's some comfort for the hearts of God's people. The judge of all the earth shall do right. <laughs> There's no reason for any believer to fear death. You know, we, the point of a man wants to die and after that, the judgment. We're all afraid to die because we're afraid of judgment. There is no reason for a believer to ever fear death or the judgment. Never. You know why? The judge of all the earth shall do right. Nobody knows better than the judge that you're righteous. 
because the judge himself made you righteous. <laughs> He'll never find you guilty after he's the one made you righteous. Oh, the judge of all the earth shall do right. He cannot condemn you if Christ was condemned in your place. If Christ died in your place, you can never die the second death because that would be unjust. And the judge of all the earth is going to be just. It would be unjust to punish two people for the same sin. What? If the father took your sin off of you and put it on his son, it's not on you anymore. <laughs> if the son puts your sin away by his precious blood, that sin is not on you anymore. And the same justice that, that demanded the death of Christ the same justice that demands the condemnation of the unbeliever in hell, that very same justice demands the glorification of God's people in heaven. It demands it. Now that's comfort to the hearts of God's people, isn't it? And that makes us worship in awe and wonder how the Lord fully and completely saves his people and he's right to do it. Well, if he's right to do it, we can't lose it. And it can't be taken away from us. Isn't that good news? The judge of all the earth shall do right when he saves his people from their sin. And here's the third thing. The judge of all the earth always does right in the way he orders the events of providence. Now, that's such a comfort to the hearts of God's people to know Everything that happens in this creation, everything happens to me and mine, everything that happens in my small little world, everything that happens, happens according to the direct will of God. Do you know nothing can ever happen to you except God willed it? Nothing can ever happen to you that's outside of God's control or outside of his will. Because nothing, if he didn't will it, it can't happen. If he wills for something, he doesn't will for something to happen, it cannot happen. You get that? So everything that happens to us is the direct will of God. And if you believe Christ, that's a comfort. It's a comfort to know our God cannot make a mistake. Something happens to me, it's not a mistake. It's God doing right. Now that's doctrine. I would say everybody here knows and at least give some mental agreement. Yeah, that, that's what I believe. That every, God's sovereign and everything happens in this earth. But you know when we tend to lose a little bit of comfort from knowing that truth? Is when the Lord brings painful trials our way. And when the Lord brings something painful to us, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever it is, all we want is the pain of the trial to stop. That's all we want. And we, we probably, you know, just because of the way we are in this flesh, we tend to lose a little of the comfort that we have knowing this painful thing that's happened to me. God's doing it just as much as he did when he blessed me, when something, you know, I was happy about. But even in, in, in a trial that, uh, you know, Scripture talks about trials of being in a confined space, like it's just, you feel like it's crushing you, you know, to death. Even in that, and we, and we do want the pain to stop. We do want it, whatever it is in the toy, we want it to be over. But even in the midst of it, it does comfort the hearts of God's people to remember the same God who loved me in eternity, the same God who suffered and died for me, suffered and died in my place, died for my sin, 
The same God that came to me and revealed Christ to me. That enabled me to hear the gospel and believe it. The same God that moved in power and caused me to be born again. The same God who continually blesses the gospel to my heart so that I'm fed and I'm encouraged, I grow in grace. That very same, that God did all that is the very same God who sent this trial to me. Now the Lord was right when he blessed, you know, everybody says, oh yeah, the Lord's right when he blessed me like that. Well, then we've got to say he's right when he sends this trial my way too. Our God sent that trial in love for our good the same way he did everything else. Has to, because God can't change. Now the judge of all the earth has done right in sending this trial my way. Mentally, I know that. Mentally, I know God has not made a mistake. He sent this trial for our good and our learning. My good, my learning. And eventually, I'll see that. Eventually, not right off. But eventually, I'll see that. Let me give a few examples. Let's just, just you and me here. Let's be honest. In times of, of trial and trouble, I won't necessarily say you pray harder, but do you pray more sincerely? I mean, Lord put you in it. When Peter was singing beneath the waves, you think he was praying sincerely? He said, Lord, save me. We, I, think we, I think that's honest. You know, we can honestly say it, pray a little more sincerely. And those times when you're praying sincerely, sincerely seeking God, don't you find that the Lord answers prayer? And don't you see how precious that is? God heard me. He answered my prayer. That's a good thing to learn, isn't it? God answers prayer. In times of trial, trouble, I mean you're in it. Don't you find that you read God's word more often and a little more carefully than you do at other times? Don't you come to the worship service? I mean really seeking. Seeking a blessing from God's word for you. More than you do at other times. I mean, you're not just coming on Sunday morning because that's what I do. I mean, you come seeking a message from God. Something, something to help you. And at that time, I mean, you're seeking God. You're seeking a blessing from God. You're seeking a word from God. Just you're, you're like that poor Canaanite or the Syrophoenician woman. Just, Lord, Master, give me a crumb from your table. Don't you find He always gives it? Don't you find? Oh. Boy, the gospel sure was a blessing to me this morning. I feel like the, the Lord gave the preacher a message just for me. I don't know about everybody else, but that was for me. Well, that's a good thing the Lord taught us, isn't it? He taught us how precious His Word is. He taught us how valuable the preaching of Christ is. Then in times of trial and trouble, don't you find that you cry out to God and you find God keeps His promise. See, it's something to know that. It's something to know that. It's another to know it by experience. That you cry out to God and you find He gives you grace sufficient to meet the trial. Just exactly like He promised, my grace is sufficient for thee. And I find out God's grace is, is just as sufficient for me as it was for the Apostle Paul. Now, I'm not saying you cry to the Lord and He takes away the trial. That He makes it quit hurting. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is this. God sends you grace to be able to bear it. To be able to bear up in that trial. 
like you couldn't have without Him. He kept His promise to you. Wasn't it a good thing to know by experience? God keeps His promise. God keeps His promise. Years ago, there was a couple we went to church with. A bunch of us did this at, at, at that time. We had little children. And they had their little children. Um, after the service was over, as they were driving home, you had to, each child had to say one thing, just one. Just one thing that the preacher said, just one. And this family was, was driving home, and the little boy said, you don't have to ask me tonight. I, I preached that night. I preached that night. And he said, you don't have to ask me tonight what Frank said. And they said, what did he say? He said, God always keeps his promise. That was years ago. That child is a man now. He's a believer. Now he's a little tyke, four or five years old, however old he was. He got it. That's what the Bible said. That's what the preacher said. God keeps his promise. Now he knows it. <laughs> That's a good thing to know. God keeps his promise. Because the next time I'm in a trial that's just a little bit deeper and just a little bit darker, a little, little tighter squeeze. I'm going to remember I can trust God. He's going to keep His promise today just like He did yesterday. You know, it's a good thing to learn that God's presence in the heart and His grace in the heart is better than the removal of the physical trial. Now, we want the trial to end. I'm, I'm not saying, but until the Lord is pleased to remove it, Really, it's more precious that He gives you grace to endure it than it is when He removes the trial. It's more precious. Now, I know you don't understand that unless you know the Lord or unless you've been through it. But if you're His, you're going to know it. You're going to know it. And then last, let me give you this. Just because you're in the valley, trial and trouble, you listen to me now. Because you're going to wonder this. It doesn't mean the Lord stopped loving you. And it does not mean that the Lord's forgotten about you. When the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, and that bondage got bad, didn't it? They had to make bricks without straws, and if their count of bricks went down in a day, they were beaten for it. Soldiers came in and just took all their boy babies and killed them one day. Slit their throat, threw them in the Nile to drown, just, you know just took their children, took that baby out of that mother's arms and killed it. And they had no recourse. There was nobody to appeal to. They had no rights. And they just cried. They just cried. They cried to the Lord. Maybe they just sat and cried. Just sat and moaned. And I wouldn't be surprised to find out that somebody wondered, has God forgotten us? This has happened to me. This is the most painful thing I can imagine it happening to me. Does the Lord even love me? This is so unjust that they can do, people can do this to us. This is so unjust. Does the Lord even see? Oh, the Lord saw it, didn't he? And he heard their cries. You know what he was doing? He was just waiting for his set time to deliver them. 
The Lord didn't say, well, I'm going to let you see, just see how long this goes. And then when the people start crying sincerely enough, then I'll, I'll send somebody to deliver them. No, that's not what happened. The Lord's waiting for his set time to deliver them. Years and years and years and years, centuries prior to this, when there was one Hebrew, Abraham, had no children. You know what the Lord told Abraham? Your descendants are going to go down to Egypt. They're going to be there for 400 years and I'm going to bring them out. At 400 years, not one day more, God did what he told Abraham he was going to do. He brought them out with a mighty arm, didn't he? And the same thing is true of you and me in our trials. For spiritual Israel, you cry to the Lord. The Lord hears. He hears your cry. He sees. He sees. He knows. And I can promise you this. He'll deliver us. At his set time. See this thing didn't happen by accident. It's not going to end by accident. The Lord's going to deliver his people. At his set time. That he appointed before time began. He's going to deliver his people. And this is what we'll find. That moment of deliverance. Is the best time. Not too soon. And not too late. You know why? The judge of all the earth shall do right. Dan, I can be content with that, can't you? I can be content with that. I hope you can. I hope so. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you, how you've showed us the judge of all the earth shall do right. How we thank you that you never make a mistake how we thank you for your love and mercy to your people. That even through the troubles, the valleys, the heartaches that you bring your people through, ultimately to glory with thee. Father, how we thank you. Father, give us some understanding of your immenseness, your sovereignty, your, your all that we bow before the God of heaven and earth. And cause us to worship. Cause us to trust. Cause us to call out to your name. Let us see some of your, your redemptive glory to your people. And cause us to rest in thee. Father, as we get ready to have a, a dinner together, we thank you for this time that we have together, fellowship. We thank you for the food. And we thank you for these three ladies that we celebrate. They're so precious to us and important to this congregation. Father, I pray your richest blessing upon them, upon each one of them. Lead and guide and direct and be with them, we pray. All these things we ask in that name which is above every name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we're getting ready to, to have a, a church dinner to celebrate the 20th birthdays of Kinsley and Maggie and the 80th birthday for Mom. Now, 10 years ago, we had a, you can do the math, 10 years ago, mom was 70, we had a surprise birthday party for mom, and many of y'all came, we invited the church, many of y'all came to that, but 10 years ago, Kinsley and Maggie turned 10, and we didn't have this tradition of celebrating zero birthdays, they missed it by just a couple months, just a couple months, and girls, you've waited 10 years to have your day, now it's your day, so...
I hope you enjoy it. I hope you find out it was worth worth the the, the wait. And uh, I mean it when I thank God for you. I thank God for you. So the men are going to set up the tables. The ladies are going to get out some uh, some food and set it out. And know we're going to have something good to eat. And uh, you know the drill. You watch now. When these three go, then through line, then the rest of us can go too. All right, Isaac, come lead, lead us in our closing song.